Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? So, during the apocalypse, what's the thing that you think you're going to miss the most, right? Like, for instance, if you think right now, like, there's going to be a grid down, shit hit the fan scenario, you know, uh, we're having a real Last of Us fungus among us sort of deal. Society as we know it's over. What's the thing that you're going to miss the most? I'd probably miss having a stable source of food. Yeah. Because, you know, I we live without internet. You know, I guess technically the internet's been around since before I've been alive. So I've only ever known the internet, but it's one of those things where you know if you go like if you go camping yeah you don't have the internet necessarily i mean yeah you might have cellular data but you can live without it. you can read books um, yeah. we'd probably survive off reading books especially for stuff we didn't know but not having a stable source of food and also water um i think that's something that a lot of people take for granted people think you know all these people who act like oh i could live off the land as long as i had a grocery store yeah well there's your problem how do you think that how do you think that tap water comes to your house or to your homestead or wherever the heck you're going to make your stand in the apocalypse era you know people don't people don't take that into consideration because they don't realize that just having a clean stable source of water coming to your house has like hundreds of years of infrastructure backstory behind it you know i was thinking about that the other day actually and talking about how you know back in you only go back a couple hundred years if you wanted to get around like the, the the original 13 colonies, for example, if you wanted to get around the original 13 colonies, you were either walking or you were on a horse. You know, nowadays we've got interstate highway systems that can take you thousands of miles across the country and even across different, you know, country lines, country borders. Um, but that, that, that all did not exist to start with. You know, you look at a place like Turkey where they just had that awful earthquake, that destroys the infrastructure of things like roads and, you know, um, amenities like hospitals and restaurants. Um, so imagine Pakistan in a, flooded last summer. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I know a guy from Pakistan. He's a friend of mine on Discord who helps me with writing stuff. And he was talking about that how just like yeah, half the country was underwater. You know, That's something like crazy. that happens. It doesn't have to be some convoluted fictional apocalypse like zombies or something. All it has to be is lots of rain or no rain at all or you know too much fire or. Uh, Oh, it's a little wind. It's a little extra windy today, and yeah, we're shit out of luck. That's true. Yeah. So that's that's something that I think that that kind of that touches on another degree of, of this is that we don't we take for granted how close we are to things just breaking down, and I know I'm guilty of this because I usually just put it out of my mind because I don't want because if you if you lived thinking about it all the time you would go nuts. I think you. I think you would just be constantly like biting your fingernails, like just absolutely petrified. Because, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? You can't do that. You can't live like that. 
But if you sit back and think about it, yeah, there is lots of stuff that can go wrong. I, yeah. Well, a lot of it too is is uh, basic preparation. Like, mm -hmm. it's, you know, we have something like three very fat months worth of food at the house at all times, right? I just had to see the grocery stores in March 2020, and I'm like, oh, oh, this shit is real fragile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talked about water. Like, we've got gallons of water in the basement, enough to last a month if we need to. There's water purification tablets. There's straws that you drink through the water that filter out the bacteria sort of thing. Yep. Um, you know, backup sources of power, backup sources of heat, you know, a fireplace. Um, because I had a similar experience where I'm like, oh God, what, you know, it's, it's I kind of went down a fun prep a rabbit hole for a while and a lot of that means you got to have three days worth of solutions to any given problem right it's kind of the baseline is if you're on your own for as much as three days what the fuck are you going to do you yeah. know and we live in indiana all it takes around here is a good snowstorm for that to happen and you see how the people storm mob the grocery stores every time the weather channel even hints there's going to be a little bit of snow people will just freak out buy bread and milk buy bread and eggs you know bread and milk and eggs or whatever the hell it is you know my dad and i have done it a couple times just this winter stocked up and usually all ends up happening is we end up having a few weeks where the food that we don't really need um but you know who knows who's who's to say when the next blizzard of 78 is going to hit or something yeah along. I remember in 2012 when the city shut down from a big blizzard and yeah. there was one bar that was open downtown and me and my cousin walked through the snow all the way to the bar. It was this Champs in the Circle Center Mall and we walked all the way there. There was a bunch of people. It's like they're all refugees from the frozen snowpocalypse outside. Yeah. You know, when, when uh, over last Christmas, when they when the with all that hysteria from the snowstorm and stuff was going on and my wife and we get some food but like we were so stocked up on food and she's like hey man what snacks do you want and i was like just a case of beer will be good and because i don't know we've got plenty of food and I'm, I'm drawing up plans right now to insulate my garage to have a year-round like garden going in there <laughs> and which shouldn't be super hard to do um, yeah. So the thing I would miss is dental care. Yeah, because it's, I know how to grow food. <laughs> I know how to shoot a gun. I could probably kill something and eat it after enough tries. Um, I know a lot of basic emergency first aid, but. The realms of medicine and dentistry kind of split off into two. So really, dentistry is like black magic to me almost. Like I get all the basics and stuff, but like it's, you know, if you got shot, I would say, oh, put a tourniquet on him until the bright red bleeding stops, right? And then pack that motherfucking hole full of like stuff. Maybe fish out the bullet if you can. I don't know, right? 
there's some basic shit you can try. Yeah, you'll probably die. But like, I've got a plan, you know, <laughs> to prolong your death. It'll be more painful. But if like, I don't know, you said, Derwin, I have a tooth infection. I'd be like, I mean, I guess we're getting pliers. But like, you're just gonna yank that motherfucker out. But like, I wouldn't know what to do besides that, you know? And, and I thought about this on the way, because I went to the dentist today. And I thought, you know, man, if, if I was on my own with dentistry, I wouldn't even know where to start. Which is why I should probably start reading up on it. And I have this whole shelf of books upstairs labeled to read if the internet goes down. Right. Yep. And it's just like how to garden, how to camp, how to make your own bullets, how to compost, all the basics, right? Like if I had to restart civilization in my little tiny quarter acre lot, how would I do it? But anyway, so what are your thoughts on world building and genre fiction? Well, I think this actually kind of dovetails nicely from what we've been talking about thus far, because you really got to start with the basics. You got to start with the yeah. basics, back them up. Because um, when it comes to world building, you know, this, this is stuff they they sort of teach you but they also sort of don't in like college writing classes and things because sure. even today genre fiction is still kind of a i won't say a dirty word but it's kind of like a it's kind of like a faux pas or, or sort of sort of it's sort of stigmatized in some writing classes depending on who you're, who you're studying with um, the classes yeah but like yeah that's the culture now like that's mm-hmm. that's you know that's yeah, the Avengers. It's, it's gone mainstream, so you don't have to worry about it as much being, yeah. you know, looked down on because everybody's doing it. You know, I remember when I was in. Obviously, we both went to the same college. One of the classes I took in the liberal arts program, um, the, the professor challenged us all to write what they would call literary fiction. You know, just fiction without big genre plot devices. But she yeah. allowed us to have what she called a blue chip which is like one little thing that was different about this setting that um, allows us that allowed us allowed us to make it allowed us as writers to make it our own in my case the blue chip my story I wrote for the class was that it was set like a couple hundred years in the future because I basically write everything I everything I've ever written basically is part of the same universe um, sure and you know it's just it's I wanted to I wanted to write within that universe so I could practice my storytelling. Yeah. But of course, this has also been like seven years ago now. So my storytelling abilities have evolved a good bit since then, just naturally through experience. So, yeah. There's there's all that that's that before we're done here. That's you know that just stands to be said. If your if your skills aren't growing as you continue to write, you're probably not writing enough because. Yeah. You know, there's there's just something to be said for putting mileage behind your, I guess in this case, your hands on the typewriter or on the, on the keyboard keys or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. Because I would say yeah. most people don't write with the output you have. Mm-hmm. Well, I write you have like an Asimov rate of speed with your output. I write in fifty starts. I, I, I think 
I think Asimov is it, 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 at the very least you pump out the same like rate of like you know I would imagine you get you two could probably go in a race and I, he'd probably beat you but he's Isaac Asimov so but yeah. you would be in the same like you could probably keep up for a little bit it's crazy like you you write insanely quick right <laughs> but also you write in these big sort of like expansive you're really good at zooming out at 30,000 feet and kind of seeing a whole realized world. And that's probably from all the practice, like you're saying, like, because that's always what I've read a lot of your work and that's always seemed to be what your uh, fascination is. It, it's, it's the politics. Yeah. The politics, the, because you're always sending me like, oh, this is the new uniform and this is the new god. And like you're showing me pictures and maps and bases and images of Mars and shit. And you seem the most fascinated with building a world that you could almost escape it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, literally. And, yeah. Yeah, because that's, and, you know. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you by way of an anecdote. You know, obviously, you, you're probably aware of my favorite film is Blade Runner. Um, and, the re and the reason my favorite film is Blade Runner is because I can literally get lost in that world building. Because, you know, there's a, obviously the set did not exist anymore, but for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever, you have like 1981, I want to say, or yeah, not in, like, in the summer of 1981, there was a set on a back lot in Los Angeles where you basically could walk out of 1981 and into 2019 and for for a couple for an hour and set for an hour and 57 minutes you could escape into that world via this movie and i could i you know i could still do that just about every day i don't because i because i don't want it to get stale but yes my point is that that's the reason I, that is definitely the reason i do it it's to escape into these worlds because it's it's a kind of catharsis and it's a kind of therapy by creation. Because yeah. um, you know there's you know, there's there's talk about how um, it's like this it's like the line that Sarah Connor Sarah Connor has in Terminator Two where she's talking about how men like Dyson you know they they get their they get their joy from destruction whereas because they can't because they can never really create life and I'm like well I can I can create life I can create billions of lives they just exist in my head and on paper not in reality um, you know I can I can create <laughs> that's not your go that's like that line Sarah Connor says you all of you none of it matters you're all dead you me everybody there's no point <laughs> I guess <laughs> some days I'm like she gets it. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, backing up a step to the talk about apocalypse, I would I would be lying if I said I I would be lying if I said I've not had some nuclear war dream nightmares in the last year since the war since the Ukraine war started. Yeah. In fact, I think the, the very first week of the of the war of the Russia Ukraine war, uh, I had a dream that I woke up to air raid sirens going off, and I went out in the living room, and my dad and our roommate at the time. We're watching an announcement of the, the United States had launched nuclear missiles on Russia, and I and I woke up from that and I was like, yeah, maybe I'll go ask that girl I like at work if she wants to go out for coffee. Because what's the fuck? What's the worst that can What's the worst that can happen? It, it literally would. Be like, well, the worst that could happen is we could have a nuclear exchange with the Russians. 
So if I ask yeah. her, we won't have a nuclear exchange with the we might have like a fun kissing exchange. That's always nice. Well, that didn't happen. She turned me down, but well, no yeah. feelings. We all get turned down. Nothing, nothing ventured, nothing, nothing gained. That's exactly theory there. Um, so with your world, your universe, it's mm-hmm. it it has evolved in a considerable way with well, it's, I, evolved, I, you've, it's evolved a lot just since you met me and that's yeah. to say nothing of how much it's evolved in the I think next year it'll be officially 20 years I think I started work quote unquote work on this world in like 2004 well there you go um, yeah. I know so I bought one of your books mm-hmm. years ago right we published your book Yep. When I was when I was still a publisher, I'm not really anymore. Um, we I bought your book, and uh, on the and I'm curious about this on the contract it said, uh, you know, kind of like you could reference the book that I bought, but to replicate it, it has to be like X amount percentage different or something. Basically, you can't cut. Not that I thought you'd do this. This is just a legal buying a, con- a book thing. You can't copy yeah. paste it, right? Yep. And so right. then you and me kind of went our separate ways over the pandemic and kind of reconnected a, a couple of years into it. And then I started reading more of your up-to-date stuff. And you told me how, because there's such a big difference, and a big difference between your earlier stuff when you're publishing with Divided by Zero Books and the stuff you're working on now is there was a faster than light aspect of it, almost like a transport called transference. Yep. And it doesn't exist in the canon anymore. So I'm curious, was it the contract that made you change that or was that an organic thing or was it both? It was, I think it was kind of an organic thing, but I would be, I'd probably, I'd probably be lying if I said that the contract didn't have anything to do with it. Because I think the contract wasn't like the nudge that made me go off and make my own thing, but it was also kind of the nudge that made me go off and make my own thing, which is what you said at the time when we went our separate ways as, as business partners. You said, I don't want you to be paying me half of your royalties for all this work you're doing. I want you to go off and make your own empire. I remember you basically saying – I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but that's basically what you said. And yeah. it really resonated with me, and it resonated, resonated with, and it still resonates with me. And – I think the, the the organic part of this change is has just come through being on Reddit and like seeing and like 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 being on like different different subreddits and of, of like sci-fi and sci-fi writing talk and all this stuff because it it basically came from it's funny I'll, I'll tell you the biggest reason why I don't have fast and light travel in the story anymore at least most of the story which we can get to some other day or some other point in the discussion. Um, it's, it, may, it might come back into play later in the, in the storyline. Again, that's for another time. Um, but the biggest reason I wanted to get rid of fast and light travel is just because I started doing science writing. And because fast and light travel, as far as any scientist will tell you, or any physicist or any like NASA scientist who you ever talk to will tell you, it's not feasible. It, it breaks the laws of physics, and you can't break the laws of physics. You yeah. can't go faster than light. So I wanted to constrain myself to figuring out how I could tell in a compelling story that would be on the scale of something like Star Wars or The Expanse or Stargate, these series that I've loved and that have influenced me and that have shaped the sort of lore that I want to build. 
how can I tell a story like that without faster than light travel? And this is the way I did it. And it basically comes down to these discussions that I have in the tough sci-fi server to this, you know, all the time now, I think, which has just been a godsend to me. You know, you, basically it's these guys who they're all amped up about nuclear propulsion, you know, and stuff like that, which NASA just were just announced back in January. They're going to uh, work with DARPA to create a nuclear rocket motor, a nuclear rocket engine um, for testing by like 2027. And um, cool. yeah, because you know we tested this stuff back in the '60s, but then it was made. It was oh, that was nixed because of like you know the nuclear, uh, basically these nuclear treaties that said, hey, you can't put nukes in space. That might be a bad idea. Because um, yeah. you know again, there's 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 a there's one of the one of the ideas that guys on this this the server that I've mentioned now um, that they really like is called the Orion Drive. And basically yeah. with the Orion drive, I think I might have mentioned this to you when we were at lunch uh, it, the other day. It, it Basically what it involves is you you have a big old ship with a big old pusher plate on the back with like with like shock absorber struts so that can do this. Yeah. And basically you shoot nuclear bombs out the back of this ship and ride the shockwave of them. And you basically ride like a pulse shockwave like going boom, boom, boom. And you basically use that to get up to like a couple percent the speed of light or so and doing that obviously you don't you have to be careful because you don't irradiate the people around you so you have to like do it at a standoff distance but you can get between different planets in the solar system at relatively quick speeds and it's like feasible within our present day technology you know there was talk of making a ship a battleship with this technology back in the 60s but Kennedy saw the plans for this like friggin nuclear bomb powered battleship with like nuclear howitzers and naval guns and landing craft and he was so horrified that he that he like put the kibosh on the whole project which is probably for the better we did not really need that sort of you know brinkmanship at the height of the cold war um that's why they killed him yeah that's that might be one of the reasons but, uh, <laughs> um but yeah it's you know it's this technology that we understand today that we could do at least, if, if not tomorrow, then definitely this century, you know? And I wanted to see, uh, one of the things that fascinates me is how can I take my own love of real world science and sort of slant it into a story of science fiction that's possible? Because again, you know, you, you mentioned Isaac Asimov, there's, you know, there's guys like Asimov and like uh, Arthur C. Clarke and Robert, C., Robert A. Heinlein who did all the, 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 the classics, the great masters and a lot of their works are known for their hard sci-fi aspect, you know, where they're where they're not breaking the laws of physics. They're not playing fast and loose with the rules of the of the cosmos in order to make good stories happen. You know, they're trying to play within the within the rule of bounds. And there's all sorts of good stories you can tell doing that. You know, um, the kind of getting back to what I said about how their fast and light travel might come in later down the road. There's a sequel story to like the what I call the main story, which is the Frontier Wars. Which is a story that I, which is the the, the 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 seed kernel story that I've had going since 2004 in some variation or another, and it's the current iteration is called the Frontier Wars. It's set like about four it's set about 400 years in the future. Um, yeah. set 250 years after that is what I call is what I'm tentatively calling Infinitum, and the point of Infinitum is that it's basically the legacy of the frontier wars like what happens 200 years after the frontier wars era is over and mars has become like this dominant military power and they're like on the war path and all this that this that and the other thing 
and basically it revolves around this war in the Alpha Centauri system, which, again, for for those of your listeners who may not know, is a triple star system that's the closest to Earth, the closest other star to Earth. Um, I think Proxima Centauri is technically the closest star. It's about four and a quarter light years away. The other two, which orbit each other, are about 4.37, I think, something like that. So it's about, they're about 4.2, light years away, which, again, for those who don't understand what a light year is, that's a long way. A light year is something like six trillion miles or so. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a poke. Um, bit of a poke. It's a bit of and, a poke. Um, yeah, so, but like the, the technology I, I'm using, like the, the maps you mentioned that I sent you were for this, this world in the Alpha Centauri system that is central to a storyline about the Centauri War where it's kind of like my version of Avatar. You know, there's techn- there's like these big antimatter rockets that are sending humans, that can send humans to Alpha Centauri in like 14 years. And actually sort of resurrected transference, not as a fast and light travel method, mind you, but as a method of at light speed travel, where basically what you're doing is you can beam like an a, a uploaded version of someone's consciousness to another star system and download them into a clone body. So it's sort of like altered carbon in a way. So that's also a fantastic show, at least the first season was. Yep. So in Spacer's book one, it's set like in 2256 or something yeah, I can't remember what version we ended up going with because I remember one of the versions of spacer of spacers was set in like the 2140s because maybe it had it, it had to light travel and I was figuring that well if I have light travel I can justify setting it only 120 years in the future. I think you're right, and but now that conflict that happened in Spacers Book One, where they're fighting against Martian rebel separatists, that doesn't happen anymore, right? It happens, but it's different. It's now called the Mars-Titan War, and it's kind of a three-way war. Because basically what happens is, at the point in the Mars-Titan War, which is again, the, the updated Martian War from, from Spacers Book One, which is the book that you published uh, for me, um, the Mars-Titan War basically happens because Mars is rising as a power, and Titan and the outer planets are rising as a power, and they're basically squabbling over who gets to control outer, like outer system resources. Because obviously, so, Titan the, says, "Hey, well, we're at, we're already out here. They should belong to us." But Mars says, "No, we were here, we were first, and you know, we need this wealth to support our military, to support our economy. So we're going to snatch it." And obviously, that turns into conflict, which then the ICA and the Space Corps gets involved in trying to, you know, stop. So, where's Earth in this? Earth, it, Earth in the current lore is actually not as big a player as you would think. Um, okay. Because basically, uh, I don't want to say that Earth is one big hippie commune because that, that sort of damns it with faint praise. But I have this thing called the Community of Gaia which is kind of my version of a solar punk utopia for Earth. Because basically what happens to Earth in the current current Spacer's Saga lore, which is what I call my universe, Spacer's Saga, um, basically in the current Spacer's Saga lore, Earth goes through some pretty bad years in the 21st century. Like the the late 21st and maybe very early 22nd century is rough for Earth because of climate catastrophe, because of the conflicts that happen as a result of climate catastrophe, um, just got, Earth kind of gets put through the ringer, but 
Because of this, a lot of the nations of Earth kind of slowly go the way of the dodo because they're not able to, they're not able to to keep up with the with the demands of basically what's going on with this with this post cataclysm society. They, they call it the long fall, and sure. it's kind of a double entendre because by long fall it means the long fall of industrial civilization. You know, what you've talked about, you know, we're seeing like to a certain extent right now in Europe because of the Ukraine war, it's the long fall of industrial civilization, but it's also the fall as in like the autumn of civilization on Earth, which Whoa. is like how you talk about like how uh, Roman civilization, like the, 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 I can't remember what historian has the, posited this view, but it's the view of how civilization like Roman civilization, for example, went through a spring, a summer, a fall, and then a winter. Earth kind of goes through this long fall, and then it kind of has like a brief winter, and it's slowly emerging back into a spring, but it's under much different parameters because basically the Westphalian model of the nation-state as the end-all, be-all of geopolitics doesn't really work anymore because people basically realized, hey, this model that we lived on kind of broke the planet and almost killed us all, and <laughs> the population went from 8 billion to about 6 billion in the span of a couple decades, and that's not a good thing. So let's not try to let's try not to do that again. And that's kind of where the communities of Gaia come from. And Earth kind of does its own thing. I mean, it, as of 2425, which is when the frontier wars, like main story that I've mentioned previously, mentioned already. That's the updated, that's yeah. the more Titan war. Yeah, well, okay, March so that all takes place 200 years down the road from, or 300 years down the road from where it did originally. Yeah, Mar the Mars Titan War starts in 2301, so it's about 150 years further into the future. Because I figured, if nothing else, I just have to give this lead up time because without fast and light travel, you have to allow for all this infrastructure to be built for there to even be a, a war to happen. Sure. Because, um, you know, it, it was it's I have one a question, sir. It's, it's sorry. So to go back to the, the, the space for saga war, what made you look at this and change? And maybe you're about to answer that before I interrupted you. What made you look at that and say, Oh, this needs to be Mars and Titan. And then earth is kind of sidelined and unimportant. Well, the big part of it is that I wanted to make my, to, to tell you the truth. I wanted to make my story unique. Because there's a thousand stories where Earth is like the superpower, Earth is the colonial superpower, and Mars is the plucky rebels. You know, there's even some stories where Mars is a superpower and Earth is a superpower, and they're fighting each other. And the outer planets are plucky rebels. That's basically what the Expanse is, at least for the first couple of books in the series. Um, but I wanted to do something different, and basically that's where the Mars Titan War comes from, and everything that leads from it, because. Obviously, the Mars Titan War, much as World War II did in our own recent history, set the stage for everything that was to come. Um, Mars Titan War goes lasts about five years. Obviously, the the, the Martian War in space and the Spacers in, the, in Spacers Book One, then or in the Spacers uh, trilogy that we were working on, was only three years. So that's a difference right there. Um, they're making little changes to try and make things work better with the lore, because. I wanted to do my own thing and I wanted to make it unique from uh, the stuff that had been done before because yeah, yeah. like uh, again I knew the, 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 the big 
the the heavy hitter in the world of, of hard sci-fi like space opera nowadays is the expanse because obviously you've got nine books and you've got six seasons of tv and they're all really 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 well liked and well known and uh really popular and um the whole shtick of the expanse is that earth is unified under the united nations and mars is united under the martian congressional republic and the outer planets are kind of like you know the, the asteroid belt the outer planets are kind of like kind of these plucky like or riff it's kind of like this plucky riffraff who gets stepped on by mars and earth and that's kind of how things start well in the frontier wars which is the one which is like again the main story set about 120 odd years after the mars titan war and it's like again build, building off of what happened in that era the belt is actually the richest power in the solar system because it has all these resources and all these people and they basically can do whatever they want and mars is kind of like yeah they're a military power but they're not the biggest military power they're just loud they're basically like the i basically for lack of a better term mars in uh the spacer saga is basically like israel they're a small okay. country but they've got a strong military yeah and because they know that without it they would basically have no leg to stand on yeah. you know basically that's what mars has made its bread and butter off of is they've got they've, mars in the spacer saga has two things going for it they cornered the market on manufacturing early on because they were one of the first colonies to be established and they then and then part the sort of part two of that is they turn that monopoly on manufacturing into a making themselves a military power so they could compete with other you know colonial powers because even though mars isn't mars like again you know i i, I keep referring to this as the expanse so I'll, i'll do that again um and the expanse mars has somewhere like four billion people on it in the 2300s in the mid 2300 this is a lot of people That's it's like half as many, that's as half as many as we have on earth today and that's only 300 years in the future i didn't want to go that route because i figured that first of all you have to find out because you know it's one thing to just say well with you know exponential growth yeah it's doable if you have if you start with certain certain number of population and have it growing at a certain rate it can get to that rate to that size in a certain number of years but that's not sustainable you have to think about I mean, things like sustainability too our own population here is going to crash in this century yeah like, i mean there's there's the post-war population uh of the west of all nations right but mostly the west it really industrialized after 1945 in a big bad way and then people went from the farm where kids were free labor to the cities sleeping in condos where kids were expensive habits as the great peter zihan would say Mm-hmm. and so there's like much of the developed world just ran out of kids 30 years ago and now a lot of them are moving into mass retirement mm-hmm. like like the the chinese like they're all going to re- there's there's like if you look at their demographics they just kind of go in a inverted pyramid to where there's no kids there were no kids 30 years ago and So yes with exponential growth but we're not going to have it. the story for the rest of our lives pretty soon right if assuming we don't blow ourselves up through like yeah. nuclear war or something is going to be hey the world's running out of peace 
how do we keep maintaining society with fewer and fewer people right that and and you know and maybe we get to mars and then maybe everyone's just fertile and just wants to have many many babies or whatever and god bless them but, we don't even know if we can have kids on mars that's part of the thing you know we don't we never tested whether or not people can actually conceive and carry a fetus to term in lower gravity or zero gravity or what have you so that's something that obviously will determine a big part of whether that we can actually even colonize mars let alone have a couple million people there in 400 years i never thought of that i never it, 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 i just assumed but then again you know yeah. like you i grew up on star trek um so with yeah, your star world trek, star oh. trek is, is star trek is great storytelling but it's not the best when it comes to hard science because you've got inertial dampening and transporters and replicators none of that stuff is at all really realistic i i think that therein lies a lot of the difference between our storytelling is <laughs> mine sort of like small s science big f fiction yours is big s science small f fiction and you know that's they neither one is better they're just different right <laughs> to where um I, and this isn't to say I don't put thought into the world, but all of my focus is like on an interpersonal relationship whenever I write something. Mm -hmm. And I write just enough, I build just enough world. It's like a stage play. If you're seeing a stage play, they're going to build just enough backdrop, background, have enough props to tell the story and that's it um and while you write compelling characters and like interactions and dynamics and stuff of course it's also you construct much you told me once about how on the blade runner set you watched this documentary about it where they had stuff in a drawer right like pills or something and, and as props as part of the Blade Runner set knowing that it'll never be used there there were little details there that would never be on camera never interact with the actors but it's so deeply intricate and detailed right just because you want to see that world you know you write you world build to create a, a place for you to escape to and so I get a feeling you can't escape unless the whole world is built, right? Yeah. You know, you're perpetually stuck in the seventh day of Genesis. You know, we got to get to day seven. We can't just stop on day two, right? God only rests on day seven. And then, you know, and in the Spacer Saga, you're the god of that. And... Well, it's like, because for me, it's not just that it's a place to escape to. It's that the, the building is part of the escaping. Yeah. The, build, the the world building itself is a means to an end, not just the not just is is an end in itself, not just means to the end. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, once I've built a world or like crafted a world for a story that I can tell, I can then tell that story and enjoy myself. But just crafting the world is fun in and of itself. So you know, I can yeah. I can do that till the cows come home. Yeah, so, I and. 
And I, and I picked that up in your writing. And then that's the difference between our styles is I write stories in order to work through a personal interaction somehow, right? Mm. Like, you know, there's a story called A Tale of Two Carmichaels that was in the first volume of The Thin Line of Life. And it was about a guy during the zombie apocalypse runs into his ex-fiance. And, and who is remarkably similar to my ex-fiance. <laughs> and it was, you know, I, I, I uh, my ex-fiance who, you know, we're both married to different people now and I wish her nothing but the best, of course. Uh, she and I went our separate ways and she, much like your friend you're telling me about, she was the first girl I ever dated. So of course I'm like, well, we gotta get married, obviously, right? But we don't know each other for like six weeks when I post. So <laughs> it wasn't my best move ever. Yeah, I was 23 when it happened. And A Tale of Two Carmichaels is all about me working through that and how, like, how do I make peace with that sort of gaping hole in a relationship that ended or ended, you know, the way I didn't want it to. And I. I so love working with other writers that have different strengths than me, right? Like I wrote The Thin Line Live with my dad and my dad was always really good at fight scenes, especially when we first started writing together. And I was the sort of guy who put two people at a table and had to talk for 30 pages. And I didn't really get comfortable with writing fight scenes until, you know, halfway through the second book. And what I like with you is because we're working on a book together i think we can mm -hmm. you know yep. announce which i'm pretty excited about yeah um, and what i like to worry about you is you have like a real gift for world building because you want to escape in the world you want to know all the details and stuff and so i haven't turned in my draft to you yet i think you're going to be excited about it it's in what's what I'm really enjoying about my draft of this is that I don't have to build the world, right? The box is already created. You know, I can just like color it in a different way or maybe like, oh, maybe they say this or, you know, or you can condense two characters and make them into one or something, right? And, and for me, the world building is heavy lifting right and 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 but that's just because that's not where my primary interest lies and i'm really i can't tell you how much i'm enjoying playing in a world that's already built <laughs> already well constructed and i'm like oh shit i could just i could just kind of go places and you know and, and and I'm seeing the changes from the previous because I read because this is a book tentatively called Shadow Play, right? That's at least the working draft. We might publish under that. I don't know. Yep. But uh, I remember reading. I worked on a draft of Shadow Play a couple of years ago, and then I turned into you, and then we kind of went our separate ways for a bit, and now we're back together. And I'm reading the updated version of it, and. I remember that first version, I cut it from like 100,000 words to 50, right? I was being fucking merciless with it, you know? It was, 
it like it like it owed me money i was cutting on it and in this one i see it where it's it starts out at seventy-five thousand, and honestly it's about the same length right i've cut some i've added some or whatever but you figured out where it should be right the anemic bloody draft i turned into you last time was so cut down and it was like it was barely functioned right i was just trying to just gut it and but you took what i did and you built it into where you split the difference to where it needed to grow to and i was thought that was really impressive yeah, yeah. The, i mean the biggest thing i changed is i added some chapters i added some chapters of like flashbacks about the main character's past i'm, I'm, I in, figured, I'm in the first flashback chapter now actually yeah. you know i think basically what it boils down to is you got to know what you want you know you got to you get what you as with any sort of storytelling endeavor you get out of it what you put into it and yeah. the thing about world building is you got to know what you want to get out of it before you can put stuff into it because yeah, like, it's it's very much a given the story like is it you know and and I and I, and I say this respecting all you know it, it, nothing's above or below or whatever you know um some stories are only built in order to serve an idea right where the mm -hmm. characters are well written but not super deep and that's great because the, the the characters aren't the point the story is the point the idea is the point the question of morality or whatever yep. other stories are you know like there's like i wrote a book called the liberation of earth where it was kind of answering this question of peaceful resistance against violent protest and i had reviews on that book where people said oh this story could take place anywhere at any time right it's just kind of dressed up in the science fiction thing and that's the sort of thing i like to do is you know there's characters who serve an idea and their interactions with each other answer all the questions right and i of course go on to the guise of peaceful you know peaceful change and the putting the work in that's longer and harder and messier against the violent sort of like you know milkshakes with cement and you know putting on the horns and storm of the capital revolution types but um those and i go deep into their character actions and deep into their philosophies and their pain and their trauma and stuff but that's all to support the question being answered of do i spend my life making incremental change or do i pick up a gun and there's a, there's a line that was actually protected from stargate funnily enough from stargate sg1 yeah. um that i've it's always stuck with me it was actually in the i believe the wormhole extreme episode it was at the end of one of the wormhole extreme episodes where the guy who plays the Teal'c spoof character says this, science fiction is an existential metaphor that allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said, individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinded critics and philosophers of today, but the core of science fiction, its essence, has become crucial to our salvation, so to our salvation if we are to be saved at all. 
I like it, sir. Yeah. Um, I think on that note, we'll end there. Um, I think this might be one of, because we're going to start a subscription tier on on uh, Spotify, and this might be one of the uh, subscription episodes, which I'm pretty awesome. excited about. Um, so for the Blanket Fortress Solitude, I'm Derwin. I'm Nick. And we will see you next time.